I just keep showing up and I figure, well, if the phone stops ringing, I'll just do something else. If you're a professional singer, want to know how to turn singing into a career, or simply love to hear stories from singers on the road, then The Working Singer is the podcast for you. I chat with pro singers about how they make a creative living in the music business, lending their talent to stars like Enrique Iglesias, The Killers, Elvis Costello, and more. They share life lessons, business advice, and how they make a living when they're off the road. We'll also discuss vocal health, technique, performance, coaching, and pretty much all things vocal. Elevate your approach to your singing career, get enlightened about what the pros do, and be inspired with new ideas that you can make your own. My name is Jimmy LaFord, and this is the Working Singer Podcast. Welcome, 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 everybody. I am so excited for you to be here. Thank you for joining me. We have an amazing guest, Melanie Taylor. She has had just an incredible career. Singer, dancer, performer, she does it all. I've, you know, I've done a couple of shows with her, and she is just so pro on stage, so polished. She has worked with Righteous Brothers, um, Connie Stevens, Aerosmith, Barry Manilow, John Mayer, Bette Midler, you know, these are just to name a few. And she just imparts so much wisdom, has so much experience. Um, we're going to talk about, you know, auditioning. We're going to talk about her um, performance workshop. And um, that's really fascinating. And we're going to talk about developing your process, you know, which is what um, her workshop is about and really what this work is about, I think. Um, you know, it's something that I've been pretty obsessed with lately is just process, you know, from, you know, getting ready for an audition to getting ready for a gig to my, you know, just uh, vocalizing regularly, um, having a good process so that the end result is can be something that I'm happy with, something that helps me to connect, um, you know, better with my audience. And that's an area, you know, that I'm really focusing on right now where I really want to grow. So we talk about that a lot. And Melanie just has so many um, amazing things to say and, and has, you know, really expanded my mind about, um, you know, how I'm going to approach work from now on. So, um, you know, I hope she does the same for you. Um, and I hope that you get that transformation as well. Also, there was so much great information in this conversation, so much wisdom. Um, and Melanie has a lot to say because she has had just such a long career and has worked with so many people and has seen so much and has learned so much. Um, so this episode will actually be in two parts. So this week, of course, will be part one. Next week will be part two. Um, and it's just packed with good stuff. Both episodes are packed with some wonderful stuff. So um, download the free cheat sheet um, in the episode notes for this episode. So without further ado, the wonderful, delightful, talented Melanie Taylor. So how's your day going? How are you? I'm okay. I'm good. I um, <laughs> just been running some errands today. I'm home for a couple days from Vegas. So yeah, so I'm just here with Terry and just enjoying being at home for a minute, working on a couple things, um, you know, working on, can't wait, we're going to do something up. I'm going to actually do, um, I'm working on, working on, working on a workshop. <laughs> oh my God. That's so silly, but it's true. Nice. I'm doing it. I'm doing a workshop for, um, with Rafia Ford. 
Oh, I love her. Um, yeah. I know she's precious and she, she's got her music school and she's, she's going like gangbusters. I'm really, um, she's really, she's just so on fire for the business and for teaching and, you know, everything. So she, she and I are kind of new, newish friends. I mean, we've been friends for a couple of years probably, but we've worked together on a few different things. And, um, so she asked if I would, if I wanted to um, run a workshop, so I'm working. I'm actually, you know, researching for that. Mm. And what's the yeah. what's that going to be like? Well, um, over the past few years, um, more than a few, maybe ten years, I've sort of been observing how people about process. I've always been fascinated with the creative process, yeah. and so um, I started doing some mentor. I'm not a teacher per se. I don't, I'm not really cut out for academia. I've tried it and it just completely is not my thing. Mm -hmm. However, (laughs) I do love process and I believe that every creative process is, has to have some sort of uh, pattern Mm -hmm. process, you know, that you can kind of like sink your teeth into and, and, and teach yourself stuff. When I was coming up, no one really taught me or us, my, my generation, my peers, how to learn. And so I started to become really interested in how people learn. Mm. And so I started developing what I call passion process and performance, which, mm. which is sort of like teaching yourself how to learn and finding out what works for you mm. and how you process, how your brain processes things. I don't have a psychology degree. I don't have a chemistry degree. I don't have any formal training. Yeah. Uh, in that area, but I've done so much research just out of my own curiosity, my own feeling of inadequacy when it came to learning. Mm. Um, as, a, as an artist and a dancer, I see things very abstractly, and I wasn't ever able to really conform to what others thought would be productive for me. So I had to really kind of put my foot down in terms of what works for me because I used to always be encouraged to conform Mm. Um, but it didn't really suit how I thought about things or how I saw the world Mm -hmm. you know people see things differently and and process things differently and especially if you're artistic you know I know a girlfriend whose daughter learned her times tables by jumping on a trampoline because there was something about the kinetic movement of her jumping along with the rhythm that helped her to learn it you know Mm -hmm. like skipping rope and doing nursery rhymes um, so yeah, I learned that I learn really well when I'm in motion like that. I'm a kinetic learner and, and also I learn visually just depends on what I'm learning. Yeah. Like I look at music and I, I remember the, the, the black dots on the page, you know, I can read, I do read music, but there's always, there's that angle too, that I just kind of visualize, you know? Mm. So I want to encourage, I'm, I created, created this little process to try to help young artists learn how to learn and that's what I'm and I was kind of spun off of that hmm. <laughs> what would it, yeah. what does it kind of look like um, well we do um, first of all we figure out like what what you respond to and I ask those questions like visual auditory kinetic you know do you, and, or a combination of like do you learn like let's say you have a song to learn for a gig in a couple of days or an audition tomorrow morning like for me I would record it and maybe I would record myself singing it and then I'd go for a walk mm-hmm. so I learn in motion and auditorily you know what I mean mm-hmm. and so 
try to help people determine what they respond to, or maybe you respond to writing it down. And so you just get, go to the dollar store and buy a big old tablet and just write your lyrics down over and over again. You know, if you have a speech to memorize, sometimes it helps to, it's, it takes forever, <laughs> but there's like a stacking method that you can learn where you read like one line or let's say, yeah, you read one line and then you read it again, then you add another line, then you go back to the beginning and read it again. So you're stacking your lines. Some people read from the back to the front, like mm -hmm. the end of a script to the front or the end of a speech to the front. Yeah. I don't know why. I think that, that that creates kind of this this um, uh, different association with the material and it doesn't make you feel like you're bound to learning it from A to B. Mm. You know, it's like when I learned years ago the alphabet backwards. Like yeah. it was easier because I wasn't, it, there was no kind of sense of, that I had to do it a certain way. The abstract kind of like, it tricks your mind, you know? Yeah. You go from the um, left brain to the right brain. And, and I wonder anyway. going like from the end to the beginning, you're kind of thinking about like where you're going to end up, you know? Yeah, yeah, so. that's right. That's a great, that's a great point of view. And that's, that helps you to just shake it up a little. And you do feel some kind of weird victory when you get to the end, which is really the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Good for me. Oh my gosh, it's so funny. So yeah, I mean, so those are just a couple of examples. And then, you know, when it comes to like the process, so let's say you figure out, you know, what your passion is, you figure out maybe, okay, here's one way I could like, you just take one example of something that you're learning, like what, what we just said. And then you break that down and go, okay, how much time do I have to learn yeah. this in? Maybe I have a week, maybe I have a month. I don't know about you, but if I have a month to learn something, I usually start learning it about a week before I'm supposed to do it. Right. <laughs> because my short-term memory is better than my long-term memory. And that's another thing you have to determine. Like, what is your particular process? Like, what really works for you? If you're, if you're better, like, you know, if you work better under pressure, then let that energy sort of guide you. I mean, don't wait to the last minute, whatever your last minute is, because then it'll backfire. But, but you know, be, be, be mindful of things that work for you that might not work for other people or whatever. And then, so once you figure out how much, what your time frame is, then you can break it down into like, okay, today I'll do this. Let's say I'll read the whole script or I'll listen to the whole score. If you're learning one song, I feel like, you know, no matter what you're learning, if you have, if it's a Broadway play or something, you should read the whole play, listen to the whole score, yeah. know, know the context of your part, you know. And then let's say you have a week. So the first day you read the whole score, you listen to, or you read the whole play or whatever, you read the whole book or whatever you're doing, take a couple of days. And then you say the next day you're going to spend, you're going to take two hours and you're going to break that down into you know, uh, learning process. You're going to warm up a little physically. Maybe you're going to like do some vocal exercises or you're going to, you're going to stretch, you're going to drink some water. You're going to like, you know, get settled, get grounded yeah. and then um, turn off your phone or whatever, you know, get, get to a place where there's no distractions, wherever it works for you. Sometimes people like to go to the park or mm -hmm. the coffee shop or, you know, whatever and um, do your thing. And just break it down to 20, 20, 20 minute to half an hour increments. Some people can go longer. I like, I like a good half hour and then I'll take a quick break, mm -hmm. get some water, stretch, process. Maybe I'll look at, you know, if I, have, if I have responsibilities like emails or phone calls, I try to maybe take a couple minutes. But ideally, you should have uninterrupted time unless you're just taking potty breaks or something. Yeah. And just use those two hours and then make notes. Have, have some paper handy so you can jot down any questions you might have for the people that you're working with, whether it's a director or a band leader or 
whatever, you're always going to have questions. Oh my God, who's singing with me on this chorus? Or, you know, am I going to be reading the scene with someone for, or, or, you know, do I need to memorize? When do I need to be off book? Whatever questions come up, because questions can kind of get stuck in your mind like taffy, you know, and they kind of like, they impede your progress for actually learning. Mm. So jot some things down that come up. Things will always come up. Even if it's like, oh my God, I need to buy milk for coffee tomorrow morning. That's always me. Like, do I have enough half and half? <laughs> so if that comes up while I'm learning or teaching myself, then I can jot that down. I can think about it later. Mm. Um, so those things really help. Um, and then, so when your two hours is over, you know, you could pat yourself on the back and go do something else. Um, and then, you know, before you go to bed that night, I always suggest, you know, glance at your material again, because you, you get so much work done when you're sleeping because your mind is kind of goes out for a walk. You know what I mean? You're really, really vulnerable, but you're also really susceptible to, uh, to what's happened during your day. So if you end your day with maybe you read your little speech again, or you look through your music or you sing your tune or you listen to your tune or whatever, and maybe you read something uplifting, uh, some scripture or something positive from Anne Lamott or I Angelo, whoever you like, <laughs> you know, and then you go to sleep. Yeah. So it's kind of like, you know, be, be gentle, but be focused. I like, you know, I don't, yeah. Yeah. That's kind of what I do. That's, so that's kind of past process performance. And the performance section is just, it's kind of obvious, but you also set yourself up to win when you perform, you, know, you visualize your perfection, you get whatever notes you need, mm-hmm. you ask all your questions, you know, and then you set yourself up like with your protocol, like make sure if you have to go somewhere, you know where you're going, uh, all the obvious things that we know as professionals, but a lot of young artists don't know. Yeah. You know, know where you're going. If you're not sure, ask. If you're not sure of anything, ask. There's no such thing as a stupid question. Yeah. There should be absolutely no shame in being like, what should I wear? Do you guys have a dress code? Yeah. You know, should I, should I come prepared? Are you pr- providing a meal? Are you not? Should I, can, is, there, is it okay if I bring some snacks? I'll, you always have water. So obviously fine. Ask everything. Yeah. Do you know when we'll finish? Is this an open-ended thing? What time, you know, ask everything. Because I think people appreciate when people ask questions. I know I do. Absolutely. You know, when I'm running, when I'm, do, when I'm running my band and I have a, a professional musician will come to rehearsal and say, did you print the chart? I look at him like he's lost his mind. Like, dude, (laughs) this rehearsal was called two weeks ago. I emailed you yesterday at noon saying, if you need anything, now's the time to ask. Don't come come looking at me like I'm like you're crazy <laughs> tomorrow at six o'clock talking about do I have a chart? Oh, you know what God. I mean? I know. And that's that's not okay with me. <laughs> and I've been there where I got the you know I've sent everybody the material. I sent the material a month ago and mm-hmm. rehearsal and they're asking about charts. That's right. And that's right. Just like that was sent to you. <laughs> Okay. Don't ask me. I, I will. I'm like a dog with a bone when it comes to this kind of stuff, because I know how I am. I'm, I'm imperfect. I think we all are, but I know how I am. And I know that like, I'm subject to forget things. I'm subject to, you know, I have my issues, believe me, but I, I do my best to over-prepare and I kind of, I feel like if I've gone out of my way to, to make sure you have everything that you need and you had the Dropbox and was everything there and this and that, I will knock myself out getting you your material. But the day of the rehearsal or the day of the gig, you know, barring any unforeseen acts of God, like your computer died. Because, yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm not uncool about it. I do have, I might have extra copies of stuff. But kind of like if you just come in cavalierly like, oh, did you have a chart? Because I didn't print it well. 
or it's not on your oh. iPad. Or we have all this technology. Then it, I expect you to use it. Then it just means they didn't go over the material, you know. That's right. That's the other thing. Hello, that shows up. Because yeah. if you're asking me for a chart, then you didn't rehearse. Yeah. You didn't do your own work on this, and now we're going to have to be playing catch up when five, four out of five people did it and you didn't. So, yeah. like that lady used to say, you're only as strong as your weakest link. Yep. Absolutely. And now we're like carrying you along a little bit, you know what I mean? And so it's not fair to all the people that did the work. Yeah. So yeah, that's always my little mm -mm, <laughs> bone of contention. Cause I'll be honest with you, if I'm not completely prepared, you'll be the last one to know. I will fake it till I make it. <laughs> I will do my best. You know what I mean? I'm not going to like out myself unless it's absolutely necessary. Like I'll stumble along. Don't, I don't want anyone to, to, you know, give me any, um, a lot of leeway, especially if I've had, you know, all things being equal, if you've had enough time. I learned Barry Manilow's show in two weeks um, when I first got hired. And it was a lot. And it was staging and choreography and this and that and the other thing. I mean, I have a degree in theater, so I, you know, it, it is what I do. But at the same time, I was terrified. You know, I was, wow. it was a lot. And I was the only one that didn't, we kind of put it together, but I was the new kid on the block. Everyone else had been working with him quite a while and in various incarnations and stuff and i i didn't know nothing about i saw barry Mello in concert like i didn't know i didn't know his music per se i i know it because i'm a fan excuse me and i'd been to his con like i said i'd been to his concerts and i a couple of them and i choreographed you know a couple of dances to his stuff when i was in high school so i was literally just like wow this could be fun this you know i'm kind of a fan so i was kind of starting from one and I was singing top, which was hilarious because I'd never sung top on any job I'd ever been. I always sang middle. Mm -hmm. So I really had to pull out all the stops. <laughs> it was great kind of boot camp kind of gig. But yeah, it was it was nothing to sneeze at. But anyway. Oh, that's amazing. Okay, we'll come back to Barry. Uh, okay. I'm going to ask you all about that. Um, okay. <laughs> but where, you, where are you from? Where were you born? Mm. I was born in New Orleans, Louisiana on New Year's Day. Oh, wow. And uh, I know, right? And uh, I grew up down there until I was about eight years old, and then my family moved to California. Um, my mom's a musician. She's a concert pianist and educator, professor of music at Cal State Long Beach. Oh, wow. And my dad was a singer and educator as well. They met wow. in grad school. And uh, he's passed, uh, but they I definitely get all my... I mean, I come by this honestly. I tried to do other things with my life, and it just didn't really. I guess I wasn't supposed to. <laughs> um, I've always been artistic, and I've always been a performer. So, music is an interesting uh, facet of my life because I haven't always been a singer. Um, I started singing professionally when I was in my early twenties, but I never, ever. It was never like my life dream or goal or anything like that ever i have a degree in dance with an emphasis in the and the a degree, excuse me a degree in theater with an emphasis in dance and acting and performance yeah. so in my head i was going to like go dance with twilight tharp and have a 401k and be a professional dancer that was the only thing i wanted to do it's the one thing that brought me great joy yeah. um i always sang but i really took it for granted i sang i mean i and i sang well, I mean, I sang in concert choirs and chamber singers, what do you call it, madrigals. Mm -hmm. A lot of people call it madrigals, too. Um, and group singing, like, you know, groups of 10 and, and 12 and 16. But I never, it was never like, oh, this is what I want to do. You know what I mean? I didn't even learn how to read music until I was probably, oh, God, 
Yeah, probably in my early 20s. Mm, wow. I knew a little bit because I played some violin and a little piano, but mm -mm. so yeah, it all kind of just evolved. I just kind of kept showing up and I just love to perform. So that's yeah. the only thing that's ever been a constant did you ever, is being on stage. Did you ever perform with your parents? With my mom, I have. Yeah. Not that much, though, because she's a classical musician. Uh, um, but we've we've done a couple of, yeah, we've done a couple of gigs together. She played on my first my first record my, my i had i did a christmas record years ago and she played on a couple of pieces and that was beautiful we did a Joni mitchell tune together and we did an amy grant tune and we've performed together live a few times but not not as much as you'd think because our disciplines are you know, completely different you know we're in two different genres maybe if i sang opera <laughs> that would be great but uh yeah we just we we definitely you know we we have a lot in common obviously she's my mother but we talk a lot about art and in politics and and the way that art informs our lives and how it's important and you know we have great we have a great commiseration on on just sort of on the process <laughs> she's a great great teacher and i obviously learned a lot from her but she also there's a lot of freedom to what she does and she's really open-minded and open to learning different things. She's always learning and she's always learning these crazy sonatas and she gets a lot of pieces commissioned for her. And, wow. And she has a musical partner. Um, they, they have a duo called the Orpheus duo and they're dual piano recital. They do duo piano recitals. Beautiful, beautiful. Um, AltheaWaits.com. <laughs> and I manage her Facebook page because she doesn't care for Facebook. So I said, well, mom, we should do a page for you because that, pe that way people can support and come out and hear you play, which I'm, I'm so proud, obviously. I want everyone to hear her play. Oh, wow. So, um, yeah, she concertizes extensively um, during the year. But, yeah, that's, that's essentially my background. My grandmother sang, you know, um, and we always had artistic endeavors in the home. Like I was always making something. I learned how to sew when I was really young, and I mm. painted and did collages and I've always been a voracious reader, so I, I've always written poetry and just little observational essays and stuff like that. So, yeah, that's, uh, you, that's a little bit of... Were you performing in uh, high school, or when did you start dancing and all that? My first gig, I was six years old, Aww. and I did... The, <laughs> I danced in the Arabian Nights. Oh, my God. And I still have my costume. Oh, my God. I know. My grandmother made me my costume. It's this really darling little a little red chiffon harem girl outfit. And I, I have to get a shadow box for this thing and put it on our wall of shame. I know I've been totally like lurking on that. So I started really early. <laughs> so I danced in, in elementary school. Yeah. And then I just all through, all through my whole life, I've always done something. I, you know, I, like I said, I, 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 I learned how to tap. So I tapped and did like this thing called Starka page, which is sort of, what is the equivalent today? Hmm. Kind of like not like, like dance moms, but like little girl, you know, recital dances and stuff like that yeah. and little costume dances. Um, and I did, I played viola and violin and I, um, and yeah, in high school for sure, a lot. And, and junior high was only a couple of years when I was in junior, seven, eight, nine, no, seventh and eighth grade. So there was, I don't remember what I did. Probably just tried to get through it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I started singing and performing more when I was in ninth grade. I did, yeah, like theater and, mm. and yeah, madrigals, concert choir, um, plays, you know, a little Shakespeare, a lot of musical theater, all through high school. So it's really been a lifelong kind of thread through my life. Love it. So you were, okay, so you went to Cal State uh, mm -hmm. at Fuller. Mm -hmm. 
Right. And then you majored in right. dance. And yeah. then you graduated. And then what happened? <laughs> Started looking for a job. <laughs> no, you know, that's hilarious because I think about that. It was a long time ago because I'm not a young woman. But um, I'm trying to think of what did I do? You know, I actually I was auditioning for for music videos and um, and movies and stuff like that and and whatever came along like you know audition for cats and audition for les mis whatever but what ended up happening was i disney was having a big cattle call for dancers for their summer shows this was probably like mm, yeah this might have been the same year i graduated like the same summer mm. and I, of course all my friends who, a lot of people who i'm still friends with we all were like you know looking together like what are we doing what are we doing so disney had a big open call i went i auditioned and i wanted to do this show that they were doing on the rivers of america mm -hmm. it was like cool dancing and like you know it was all summer and i was like oh man i get this great summer gig so I went, I sang, I danced, and then I didn't get that job. And I was crushed because I was like, oh, my God, that would have been so great. Well, that was the bad news. But the good news was that they wanted me for another show, which ended up going to Europe. And I, dan and I did a show. I was a kid of the kingdom, kind of like up with people, but with more dancing. Mm -hmm. So and a smaller group usually. So there was <laughs> so we ended up doing a big what used to be called. Um, well, I, I guess it's still a corporate tour, you know, like okay. uh, sponsored by Finnair. And we ended up, we went to Helsinki, Paris, and London. And it was the first actually um, transcontinental nonstop flight from Los Angeles to Helsinki. Wow. So we went to do this big promotion with Mickey Mouse and all the characters and stuff. Like that. I remember we flew over Mount St. Helens. It was unbelievable. And it was still smoking. So it was that, that year, you know, that time, maybe within a year. Long story longer. I came back and just kept doing it. I kept, I kept, they put the show in the park. So I actually ended up getting a lot more work yeah. and it was more of a feature and I got to sing and dance and learn, you know, and use all my theater hit background and practice theater protocol and, you know, clock in, clock out, get paid. It was really like that right there was better than, it was one of the best things that ever happened to me. And I made lifelong friendships, got to sing and dance for, you know, most of that year. And then it just kind of kept going from there. I, I did all the, I did I worked for Disney gosh at, for at least I would say eight seven or eight years off and on went to Tokyo Disneyland for a year did that almost a year nine months long time in Tokyo but great um and um yeah and did tons and tons and tons of really cool Disney gigs sang on some soundtracks and did a lot of work in the park um sang with bands a lot of bands yeah um at the Tomorrowland Terrace stage, the one that kind of the elevator stage that goes up and down. I guess it's still there. I don't know. I haven't been to Disneyland about eight years, <laughs> maybe more. <laughs> but that was uh, that was a big chunk of my professional beginnings. Wow, was my big Disney thing. Yeah, and then uh, 1989, I got a record deal with Capital uh, Division of Capital, and we did that for about a year, and um, and then just started kind of doing a little bit oh i worked with the righteous brothers i sang with them in 19 started they're working at their clubs in 87 was that the clubs were called um, the hop was that your first uh artist working yeah well no connie stevens was my first artist actually oh wow okay yeah i i one of my best friends um at the time she was singing with her and um we're still friends like i said i'm already alex so many i'm so blessed to have had these like lifelong friendships especially with other people in the biz and stuff but 
um, yeah, Connie Stevens would probably have been my first if I think hard enough. <laughs> there might have been one or one person before that, but I want to say Connie was the first in like 1982 or three or something like that. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it was fun. She was a lot of fun. Sweet lady. Oh, but what about full of full of fire? And I'm sorry, I interrupted you. What did you, what about the uh, Texas right. brothers? How did that come? Oh, oh, I auditioned, or no, I was seeing someone at the time who was doing sound, and then um, they were looking for they were looking for singers, and I just auditioned. And I had just got I'd been back from Japan for probably about a year and a half, and just doing whatever. I can't remember what I did, but um, just kind of doing seeing gigs, you know, probably casuals or gigs or whatever. And then um, I auditioned and started singing in their clubs, along with a lot of other gals who are, some are still in the business, some are not, but people who kind of went on to do really great. Nikki Harris was one of the singers. She ended up uh, going up being uh, one of Madonna's singers forever. A really great singer in town, Robin Kermsey. She does a lot of soundtracks and television, uh, TV scores and stuff. She's still, she was one of those gals. Um, so yeah, there's quite a few of us that went through that camp and are still in the business and incredible singers, all really, uh, incredible. And, um, and so I did that for probably a couple two, well, maybe about, maybe let's say five years all told. And, uh, I never went on a tour with the brothers. I did a couple little gigs here and there, like satellite gigs. And then I sang on, on some of their records and stuff, but, um, but yeah, the Righteous Brothers, that was pretty cool. Wow. And that was, uh. That takes us up to the early 90s. <laughs> this is like, this is your life, Melanie Taylor. Uh, um, and then after that, I auditioned for Bette Midler. And, uh, and I didn't want to. I was kind of like, I don't want to go on tour. I'm just going to stay at work at Disneyland for the summer and blah, blah, blah. My girlfriend was like, you're going. This is perfect for you. My friend right now, she's, her name's Jerry Lynn. I'll never, I owe her. I'm going to put her in my will because... <laughs> um, it changed my life. But she, uh, she was like, no, you have to go. This is perfect for you. And I was like, yeah, I love that Midler, but nah, I don't want, I don't want whining what? as usual. <laughs> so I went, you know, and I must've done something right because like 500 people auditioned and got down to three of us. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so apparently, yeah, I always wanted to be like circus clown. So this is kind of like, <laughs> this kind of like pulled out all the stops. I got to do a little bit of everything. Oh, it was wow. really, really fun. Yeah. Really fun. And, so, and she was amazing. Yeah. What was she like to work with? And like, what did you learn watching her? That's such a great question. You know, no one ever asked me these questions about what did I learn? And that's, yeah. I think it's so vital, especially for as, as I, as I grow and mature <laughs> as a person and in this business, I think it's really important to acknowledge what you learn from people. Absolutely. And I have learned, Man, everything that I know I've learned from somebody else or from doing it or learned what not to do, you know, too, which is important. I talk, to, I talk about that to my, my students. Um, I learned from her that, you know, you should always work hard for sure, but also kind of follow your impulse and don't be afraid to pull something apart to put it back together. Mm -hmm. I used to watch her work through a song and she she would get herself really worked up, you know, cause she is such a brilliant actor and interpreter mm -hmm. of music and, and, you know, of course of, of, of art in itself, but like more music and, and scripts and, you know, as an actor, mm -hmm. I just, I love to watch her dissect a piece. You know, I, I saw some of her notes sometimes and she'd have notes, copious notes about a song or about, mm -hmm. she did a lot of dialogue, of course, a lot of jokes and stuff. And so 
she was really, really meticulous about her process, about what was working, what didn't, and how it came out of her, mm. na- what was natural for her, and how to, how, to, how to land a joke, or how to land a line, and how to, how to really touch people. Mm. And, and, and she was able to make this sort of stream of consciousness personality into something that really touched people. And I always thought that was fascinating because she never, it never seemed scripted. Mm. even when it was wow she she found a way to make it really natural for her mm. she's a great humanitarian and i and she's a really compassionate woman really empathetic very sensitive mm. extremely well read and uh, she always had a book going you know she and i used to trade books when we were working together oh i, um, I think i gave i think i gave her the bluest eye by tony morris oh my goodness yeah and, and so we <laughs> we used to always have what what are you reading i'd be walking around she'd be like what are you reading I say, oh, I don't know. Um, I'm reading some real, some real key today. You know, I'm reading uh, some Maya Angelou or whatever. And she'd be like, oh, that's interesting. So she's very curious. That's the other thing. She's very curious. So you, um, you've worked with Bette. Um, yeah. How, how long have you, uh, you still work with her from time to time? From, t- I, from time to time, yes. I started in 1993 and we finished with a tour uh, in 2000, the Millennium Tour, the Divine Miss Millennium wow. <laughs> Tour. So yeah, that was that seven years. Oh wow! And then I think I did. I think I did more. I did a little bit more into 2001 because she had a television show that she did, uh, and I did like a couple episodes of that too. So yeah, almost ten. I like I rounded off and say ten years is probably more like eight years. <laughs> but I've worked with her a lot since. I've worked with her a couple times since then too. Doing um doing some I called myself a harlette wrangler I just sort of helped her um get uh, sort of organize the harlettes for tour you know help them learn some parts and I sang some some demos for them and did some stuff just helped them you know sort of um learn the material a little bit and get oriented Mm. so and I assisted her and Tony Basil and and Bill Schneider who was uh who's been her vocal director for Oh my God. They've all been together. Seriously, 35, 40 years, like forever. Wow. When I, I mean, really. So, um, so yeah, they, uh, so that's what I, so I have worked with her since then too. Like I think in 2014 and again in 2017, 16, 17. So yeah, I keep, we keep, we, we stay in touch. So I'm, and, I'm um, a nerd when it comes to this kind of stuff. So what, yeah. What, <laughs> what is hard, what Me does too. that preparing the harlots involve for? Oh my God. Well, for me, I can tell you back in 93, when I first started, it, it, it was like total immersion. Mm. It's total immersion. Like we would, we, my memory does not serve me very well for a long term, but I think we rehearsed for six weeks mm. at Raleigh Studios. I think that's where we rehearsed first time. CBS, Radford or Raleigh, it doesn't matter. But, but it was like literally starting from ground zero, from nothing. And just from ideas and from material, you know, with starting with the songs, and then the choreography, and the props. So many props. Oh my god, so many props. Did you guys have and to just, come up with your own choreography and stuff, or? Oh no, Tony Basil's been her choreographer since okay. the beginning of time, and Tony's a genius. And so there, there were the three of us. There were three of us and Tony, and and then we, you know, she would choreograph. She would create on us on our bodies. And again, thank God for my dance background, because there's no way. You know, all three of us were were, were dancers yeah. who sang. You know, sang well. You know, but um, but anyway, 
so yeah, it was that kind of, I don't want to say triple threat, but a double threat for sure. We sang and we danced, you know, pretty much equally well. And so we were able to kind of show her what she wanted to see. And if it didn't quite work for her, she would, she would shift it because her whole philosophy, Tony is a whole nother genius. Mm. Um, and I've, again, learned so much from her too, but she, her whole thing was like, it needs to look good on all of you or it does it won't look good on, on anybody. Like you all have to look great doing this whatever the step is. Mm. And that's huge. That is huge, huge, huge. I think when it comes to any kind of, you know, any kind of, of creating on other people, you have to honor that. Unless you have these like crazy ass great, you know, Broadway dancers or people who you're just choreographing and it's just there for that reason. But this was different because, you know, our personalities had to kind of shine. Mm. So it, it needed to be a real symbiotic connection between what we were singing and how we were able to execute the vocals, which I always think is the most important thing when you're, <laughs> when you're doing a gig like this, yeah. you know, you have to, it has to sound good. And then the choreography, it doesn't take a backseat, but you kind of like have to give and take with the choreography because you can't sacrifice the sound for the movement. Right. It's just not, it doesn't make any sense. You know, you're, you're there to sing primarily, but Anyway, um, mm. she would choreograph that way. And, it, in that, and her choreography always looked fantastic because mm -hmm. she would always find the step that looked great on all three of us. And we all had very different bodies and we all moved very differently. Mm -hmm. But she would we, we would all find a way to meet in the middle. The three of us would try to meet in the middle and then she would meet us in the middle. And that's why it took six weeks. Because, <laughs> you know, you are starting from scratch. Yeah. And we had the luxury of time, which you don't, really have anymore in this business I don't think mm. so so yeah that was like that so as far as what what I did fast forward literally like you know I, I don't even want to say the number <laughs> to 2014 when I was helping uh put that together um uh I had been working with Tony uh doing trading vocal uh lessons for dance sessions not I don't want to say lessons like we would do an hour of dance and like an hour of vocals and just helping her, you know, keep her voice nice and strong and work on some stuff she was working on. And um, it kind of, you know, decided she was going to go back on tour. And, and it just kind of evolved that I was just there. And so it was like, well, can you, do you know, first of all, do you know any girls who might want to do this? And I was like, yeah, maybe, you know. And so I said, well, I have these, these three gals that I know who are really great. And maybe, you know, so I would kind of do some referrals. And then it just sort of evolved into like, well, can you come by? Cause we're doing, we're having a production meeting. Okay, great. Or, you know, and then we're going to do some preliminary things. Okay, fine. And then, then it was like, well, can we send you these files so that you can kind of take a look and if there's anything that needs fluffing up. So it just evolved. And so I was able to just sort of, you know, group them together and just give them a little, little 411 on what, what, how to prepare, you know, just here's what you need to sing. Here's what you'll be asked to do. Here's, here's what I suggested attire you know <laughs> look fabulous you know pull up she that's what she wants to see I mean the harlette mystique is that you're kind of a diva you know but you're not as big as the other diva and you know but you want to present an air of you know glamour or femi uh, femininity or mm -hmm. you know just having just be, being kind of you know presenting yourself as being kind of confident and and, and beautiful be, be be as beautiful as you are mm. you don't have to come in with a ton of makeup or like high heels but a heel is a good idea you know i think when you're auditioning for something like that you should always be prepared with a heel and maybe a, a dance sneaker or something like that too so that you can kind of figure it you know bring all your crap with you bring everything you think you might need 
bring your water, bring a towel, bring your pictures, bring, you know, bring all your stuff. Cause you don't want to be the one be like, Oh, you know, I don't have a business card or I don't have, a, you know, I didn't prepare a ballot. Yeah. You got to prepare a ballot. Yeah. You have to prepare an uptempo and a ballot yeah. and maybe something else and look, know how to speak about yourself. Give a little elevator pitch on maybe they're going to want you to slate and say a few words or who knows. Yeah. Yes, you should definitely Over, know how to talk about yourself a little bit. You definitely should. It doesn't have to be right. A little bit. It doesn't have to be a lot, but you know, I was born here. I, you know, I, I studied this, that, and the other thing. I'm, I, you know, I've been performing since I was whatever. And, you know, my favorite color is blue and my favorite, you know, whatever. Just say a few words. I'm happy to be here type of thing. And, you know, I don't know. Anything that shows your personality that, and, it, and keep it up tempo and keep it upbeat rather. Mm-hmm. Keep it friendly, you know, sparkle. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I love it. Um, yeah. So how did you, let me see, there's not like so many, I was just like, okay, can we even get through all of these people? There's just like such a wonderful list and I like love everybody on here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, how did you, how did the Aerosmith gig come about? Well, let's see. Um, when I was on tour with John Mayer, I met Steve Jordan, who was his drummer and producer at the time. Mm-hmm. And um, Keith Richards and somebody else had this group called the something. They were like an offshoot and they did like blues and stuff. And then they'd have like a, oh, right. a Martha Wash doing some hallelujah kind of vocal. Yeah. Well, Steve was referring me to something like that. And I think it was Joe Perry and somebody else. Well, that fell through. But then he said, you know, Aerosmith is looking to do, um, they, they might want to do a demo or they might want some vocals and something. So I was like, oh, okay, cool. And I was on a gig at the time when, and I turned to the girl next to me who I just kind of just met and I was like, hey, you want to do this session with me tomorrow? Cause, or a couple of days, like day after tomorrow. I don't really, I think it's for Aerosmith, but I don't know. I think it's just one tune or this or that. Well, we go to the studio. This is a very truncated version of the story. We go to the studio and they're behind the, 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 console is Jack Douglas who produced Double Fantasy for John Lennon and Joe Perry and I'm like oh okay well that's nice you know that's kind of cool and whatever I thought I mean I was that was kind of cool but I was like well let's get to work and so me and this other girl go in the booth and we start carving away on this one tune and all of a sudden I see this commotion in the control room. It's a, actually the, where we were saying the vocal room is like a room, it's a big area. Look all the way across the room through the control panel. I'm looking at her. I'm like, who's that? In walks Steven Tyler with like an entourage, a bodyguard and whoever. I'm like, holy shit. And it's like, as it turns out, it's an Aerosmith record and we're doing four cuts, but I didn't know. I swear. I thought it was just like some oohs and ahs on this one tune. And I (laughs) certainly didn't expect him to walk in. Yeah. So he walks in and she looks at me. I look at her. I'm like, Hey, I didn't know. And now we're freaking out a little bit. (laughs) Holy shit. You know? And then time goes on. He's like, Hey girls and this and that. So he, we we're singing, we're carving and we're doing whatever. All of a sudden he can't take anymore. So he comes in the booth, like get me some cans and like gets on the mic with us, starts singing. Wow. And I'm thinking, man, this is ridiculous. Because I used to have his posters on my wall when I was a kid. Like, it was not even, it was insane. And then, so we finished the session. We're like, you know, like 10 feet off the ground. We leave and I'm like, do you, what just happened? Like, I had, she goes, Millie. I'm like, I know, I didn't know. And she's like, that's, this is incredible. So it was incredible. And, uh, you know, we moved on. Like a couple of days went by. I was just like, still like, 
kind of reeling, like, I can't believe that just happened. My, and, and I was walking to the post office, my phone rang. It was an unknown number. I didn't answer because I never do. So if you're out there listening and you have an unknown number, I'm not going to answer. Um, <laughs> Same here. <laughs> just call me back. Right. Girl, leave me a message. <laughs> so sure enough, I'm walking back from the post office. There's a message on my thing. And like 20 minutes goes like, oh, yeah, that's right. I have to listen to this message. It's Steven Tyler calling oh, me. Oh, my God. Oh, and he says, God. hey, Melanie, you know, I freaked. <laughs> I wish I, I wish I'd saved it. It was like on iPhone number four or something. Um, and he said, you know, you were amazing the other day and this and that. And he's like, Hey, listen, um, have you ever been on tour with any bands? I mean, you know, God bless him. And, uh, he goes, cause I don't know, you know, I don't know if I could get you. Like, I don't know if I could afford you, but I was wondering, you know, Aerosmith's going to do some dates this summer. I was wondering if you would want to go. Holy shit. Holy shit is right. I didn't know what to do with myself. Like, I, I, I didn't know who to tell. Like, I ran down the street to tell my girlfriend, like, listen to this. <laughs> like, I hope no one's punking me because this is, shit is ridiculous. Oh, my God. So that's, that was how it happened. Oh. It just happened. It just happened. Like, I, you know, so much of what happens to me, I've never, like, gone looking for it. Yeah. I just feel like I'll just keep showing up. I don't really have a plan. <laughs> I don't like to tell my students that, but I don't. <laughs> I just don't. I don't have a plan. I never had a plan. I'm scared to plan anything. I'm, because if I, pl- if I start planning now, I don't even know how to plan anything. Mm-hmm. I just keep showing up and I figure, well, if the phone stops ringing, I'll just do something else. Mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> and that's kind of what I've done over in my life. You know, when, mm-hmm. when, I don't, when I'm not actually pursuing something, which I, you know, I have to say in all seriousness, I, I certainly do. I do pursue opportunities. But I'm not real hungry you know what i mean i'm not really like desperate for because i know i believe that my gift will make room for me and i don't really sweat it mm. i don't sweat it because i write music too and i you know i know how to talk to people and i love just being sort of of service and i'm interested in people and i i'm interested in the process and i will always find a way to express myself mm. so i you know as long as i can keep a roof over my head you know, I've had a lot of money and it's fun, but I've also been really, really, I've been, I've had very, I've had lots of values of <laughs> where prosperity was like, like this, just an idea in my head. So I know what it feels like. I know what both, both, both situations feel like, and I'm most comfortable somewhere in the middle. Mm. And um, that's what I've learned about myself. I'm really, I can be very content with, with not a lot, you know, and uh so that's it. You know, that's what I think my grandmother instilled in me because I, I was raised with her as well. And she's always been, she's my constant companion, even now, 12 years after she's passed, you know, she's still with me. My mom is wonderful. She, I, I we, we love spending time together. I learned so much from her still, mm. you know, Terry is my, my heart, you know, he and I work together on so many fun things and projects and we, we love to play together. He plays guitar. I sing. You know, and then, you know, I love working with Barry and all the artists I work with now and, and, and the artists that are yet to come, including my own work. You know, I do write and I've, yeah. I'm, I don't know if I'll ever make another quote unquote album. I don't really believe in albums. Sorry, everybody. Yeah. Um, I rarely buy them myself anymore because it's just so hard to figure out who's doing what. But um, what you, I hope to always what, be making music. Yeah. What do you mean you, you don't know if you believe in albums? Or what does that mean? Because I think that... Uh, in the modern world, people have really short attention spans. Yeah. 
And I think that those of us who, who used to have like a collection of a thousand albums, I think that that, that generation is sort of moving on, let's say. Yeah. Um, and I think that having, uh, putting out product is absolutely really still valuable, but you'll never, I don't believe you'll ever make a living off of it, mm-hmm. off of selling, selling albums, quote unquote. Writing music, absolutely. Performing, without a doubt. That's why I've always loved to perform. And I think that that's the one thing that you will never have a substitute for a live music or a live singer, ever. Right. Until the end of time. That's something that you will never be able to, there'll never be, there might be alternatives to it, but there'll never be a substitution for it. Yeah. So I always try to keep my natural chops up by singing live and um writing and singing and writing and singing and performing and collaborating, which is, I love to do. So um, I don't think that the, the, the traditional record album, as we have known it, 12 cuts on a piece of plastic or whatever, I, I, I just think it's gone the way of all flesh. And I think it's okay. I think it's, mm. I'd rather have someone, like I, may, I made an EP a few years ago and, you know, had fun doing it. It was affordable. Uh, for me, it's the kind of thing that you can do and you can do it quickly. Mm-hmm. I did it a little quicker than I think you should. I had, I turned it around about three and a half weeks. Wow. weeks. Doesn't make any sense. I don't recommend it, but I had to, I had, I had a deadline, but, um, <laughs> but, 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 you know, it's, it's, it's affordable to do uh, five songs yeah. or three songs. It's not affordable to do 12 and it takes forever. And yeah. then where does it go? What do you go with it? What do you do with it? You're going to sell it at your gigs. You know, you're going to put it on CD, baby. There's no real radio anymore. It's the paradigm has shifted. So I feel like we need to find a way to work our our gift in that paradigm rather than the other way around, rather than trying to force something that doesn't really serve us anymore. Right. So that's just how I see it. But, you know, people are going to do what they want to do. For me, I'd rather do three great songs and put them out on somewhere and then perform and make money performing. Yeah you know, do gigs, do little mini tours, whatever, and then do workshops and master classes and, you know, maybe do some touring with another artist or, or piggyback and do like, you know, do stuff like that. But I, I just don't see it. I don't, I don't see it. Maybe someone else will prove me wrong. <laughs> maybe there'll be some big renaissance and I'll be like, oh, I'm gonna eat my words. But uh, <laughs> I think there's still a way to, to, to produce yourself and to and to express and to still make your music and put it out there without it feeling like such so laborious and then you're like broke and you know what I mean yeah and it took you a year to do it or nine months to do it where you can do three songs in a month if you really know what you're doing and if you've saved your money you can you can do that I love a short-term kind of project because I hit it and quit it if you've done the pre-production yeah I think we just have to make the system work for us see how we can most monetize and, and monetize it and also find our creative uh, sweet spot yeah. with it, with technology and stuff. Cause it's not easy. Yeah. You know, it feels cold and it feels very sort of, I, to me anyway, it, you know, I'm not, I, like I told you, I'm not, I should say technophobe might be a little bit of a exaggeration, but it's not my favorite thing. And so, you know, when, yeah. you know, no, go ahead. Go ahead no, I was going to try to say, I find a way to feel grounded with it all. And I, I and I don't. I just don't. I have to figure it out. Yeah. You know, every day. <laughs> you know, yeah, I, I, I do feel a, a big disconnect. Even I'm, I'm trying to do like all of the studying of music and, you know, stuff that's current and all that kind of thing, working on mm-hmm. songwriting and, and all of that, you know, recording, collaborating, blah, blah, blah. But um, when I'm doing, uh, you know, I'm looking up songs and things like that. I'm, I'm listening. It's, 
I do feel a big disconnect from, you know, um, from the music because, you know, we used to buy the cassette, we used to buy the, the vinyl or, or the CD or whatever. We would look at the liner notes. Yeah. See who did what. while we're listening. Yes. You know, yeah. yeah, we would see where it was recorded and, and who sang the background vocals and who played what instrument. And, you know, there was that's right. This more, uh, you know, visceral educational sort of connection, you know, mm. kind of trying to visualize what that studio looked like and what went on that day. And you've got names, you know, attached to the song. And I don't know. That's right. So much more personal. And that's right. Hundred percent of that, and I, you know, I don't want to be one of those people who was like, "Oh, back in my day, everything, you know, now everything sucks." I, you know, I don't think that, but I, I it's like you're saying, I, I do, <laughs> I do um, feel, uh, you know, and I don't know if this is what you meant, but I do feel disconnected in that way, you know. Yeah, I hundred percent. I agree with you hundred percent. I don't, you know, I try really hard to find music that I enjoy, and I don't know where to find it. You know, I've got Spotify and I, you know, I try to pay attention, but I don't, like I was telling you, it's kind of like the way I learn, the way I take things in. It's a similar kind of thing. Like if, if I don't hear it in the air, like that Phil Con song, I can feel it coming in the air tonight. If I don't hear it in the air, then I, I don't want to have to look for music. I want it to find me, mm. you know, I can remember where I was. Let's, I mean, we always connect. We connect to scent. Yeah. You know, if I say, if I say chocolate chip cookies baking, you can smell them in your head. If I say maybe Chanel number no. five, maybe you can smell that, right? Yeah. If I say Jasmine's blooming, you can smell that. Yeah. Scent is like the, the, the one memory, the, the one memory, the one sense that we have that's so incredibly powerful. And I think that, you know, sound is the other, the music is the other, the chords and the way things are put together. And if I have to go looking for music, like, I just don't understand where the fun is in that. It's just one thing to say, oh, you you know, you got to check out, uh, I don't know, Ed Sheeran's new record. Oh, okay, let me go to Spotify and listen. Oh, it's really good. That's one thing. But like, I miss being able to turn on my radio and wondering. I remember when I was driving, to, I'm, I, I'm interrupting myself all over the place because this thrills me to no end because I can remember, let's say, when I heard first heard Vision of Love by Mariah Carey, I was driving to an acting class, right? I mean, pick a song, pick your favorite. But for me, I remember... Oh my God, I l almost lost my mind. I was driving to, driving down Laguna Canyon Road 133, going to an acting class down Laguna. And this came on the radio, ah, whatever. And I was like, the hell is that? Who is that? I pulled over to the side of the road because her voice stopped me dead in my tracks, literally dead in my tracks. I had to pull over okay. to listen because I didn't want to lose the signal, right? I'm driving through the canyon. I'm like, and I hear this whole tune and I'm losing it. I thought, my God, I've never heard anything so beautiful. That was incredible. And yeah. when am I gonna, when, when's that moment coming back? I haven't, I have so, there are so few moments, at least for me in my day, where I, you know where it'll happen? I'll be at the grocery store. I'll be at Trader Joe's or Target or some boutique somewhere where I live and I'll hear it too and I'll whip out my sound hound, <laughs> tap it like, who's singing that? That's how I, that's how I, and then of course I forget to go back and listen to it again or buy it. And, and it starts all over. It's not like there's any kind of regular kind of check-in with the world where I can just hear music and, yeah. and, and, and like we used to do. And like you said, sitting with, a, with an album, opening up my Court and Spark album, putting the vinyl on and, and reading the lyrics, her, her beautiful poetry, 
she's always my touchstone. Like I always think, oh, I remember when Joni Mitchell did this or that, Joni Mitchell, this and that, the other thing, mm -hmm. you know, but there was something and you would, I would, you'd be in tears. Yeah. Oh my God. I mean, it didn't, anybody like Joni or James Taylor or, or Ricky Lee Jones or, or, you know, Gladys Knight or I don't know, whoever, Donna Summer, like, yeah, I could, Bruce Springsteen. I remember sitting with Born to Run and Meeting Across the River came on and I was just, I couldn't breathe. I was just so like, and did needle drop after needle drop. I just need to hear it again and again and again. Yeah. And I miss it. I love Annie Lennox and, you know, Bonnie Ray. Oh. You know, and I loved Linda Ronstadt back when she was singing and I, I was completely, completely enchanted with Donna Summer still am to this day. I still listen to Donna Summer. She was so underrated as a singer. Everyone thinks all she did was that disco stuff. It's like, y'all need to listen to some of her, her album cuts. Y'all need to listen to Lush Life. Y'all need to listen to a song she did called Forgive Me. You know what I'm saying? Oh, Billy, please. Like, all, there's so, her catalog was so deep to me, and her voice was so freaking incredible. To me, she's one of the most underrated vocalists in history, period. Wow. Donna Summer. She was. Did you work with her? Yeah, I did. All right, everybody. Thank you so much. We're going to leave it here for now. Um, sorry to cut it off, but it, it was such a long conversation. We had so much good stuff, but it would be a very, very long podcast I, if I gave it to you all in one piece. So, you know, this week is part one. Next week. Uh, next uh, part two will be available next week and I'm really excited for you to hear that so I hope you tune in to hear the rest um, Melanie has some you know more gems uh, goes more in depth about working with Donna Summer um, talks about what she learned um, working with Barry Manilow quick singer notes which you can also get um, on the Working Singer podcast blog that's at Working Singer podcast dot com and um, you can download the cheat sheet in the episode notes on this page and on the blog as well so that's all available for you if you're in a position where you can't take notes right now um, just go pop in download all that information and that is just a free resource I put together for you so um, number one decide what kind of learner you are oral visual kinetic to help develop a creative process for yourself Number two, be mindful of things that work for you that might not work for others. Number three, give yourself uninterrupted time to learn new material. Yes. <laughs> Number four, when you're going over new material, jot down questions you have and make sure to get them answered for your own clarity. Having those questions answered clears the way for learning and absorbing the material. Number five, Take another glance at the material before you go to bed. Number six, be gentle but focused. Such a good lesson. We can all be so hard on ourselves and it's not necessary. Number seven, know the logistics of whatever gig you're on. Location, dress code, meals. If you don't know, ask. Number eight, do your best to over-prepare and to be a strong link in the performance chain. So again, I hope you enjoyed that. Get that free cheat sheet that has all of the notes that I just read to you um, so you don't have to write them down. And um, you can get that at the workingsingerpodcast.com blog. I will also have links to um, all of Melanie's uh, social media and things that we talked about um, on this episode. 
And um, what else? If you are not subscribed to this podcast, please do that wherever you listen um, and comment because it really helps other people to find the podcast. Find me on Instagram, DM me. I read my messages uh, and I will answer back. And I hope you got a lot out of that conversation. I certainly did. You know, my head is buzzing with uh, just new ideas for how to approach my work. And I, you know, I hope that this did, that it does the same for you. Um, so I will see you next week. I love you. I appreciate you and talk to you soon. 